going to take, begin to talk about the armor of God. We're going to start tonight with the belt of truth. Why don't you back up with me to verse 10 of chapter 6, and let's read the passage we've already gone over. What did we talk about last week? Stand. To stand. Now, it's very, very important to know that it's, it's one thing to stand, but you can't stand alone. You've got to stand in God's strength with his armor. So we're going to begin to look at that tonight. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We're in a battle. We are in a battle and we are doing the fighting. Whose battle is it? It's God's battle. The battle is the Lord's. It's not our battle. But he is fighting it through us. It's very, very, very important for us to remember that. There is a battle raging in this world, and God, it's his plan, it's his purpose to fight that battle through his church. Now, he can sovereignly fight it all on his own. He can wipe out all the evil all on his own. But he chooses, for his reasons, to fight it through the church. And every single one of us are involved in the warfare. Every single one of us are involved in the conflict, whether you like it or not, if you are a Christian, if you are born again. And we fight the battle by standing. We fight it by standing firm. And as we stand firm, the enemy flees. And as the enemy flees, we take more territory. But we're fighting the battle. Now we need strength to fight the battle, don't we? We need God's strength. So hence Paul tells us to be strong in the strength of the Lord and his mighty power. But as any soldier knows, we need not only strength, but we also need protection. We need protection. Strength alone is not sufficient. Wonderful though it is, and as much as we need it. We also need the protection afforded by the armor of God. Any soldier knows he needs a helmet. <laughs> he needs good, solid shoes. He needs a breastplate of some sort, something to, to protect him. He needs 
armor. He needs protection. He can be the strongest soldier in the world, but if he doesn't have those elements that provide him protection, he's in big trouble. So we need protection from the armor of God. Nothing else will do. We are not left to our own resources. Far too often, I think we resort to our own resources without an understanding of our need for the armor of God and how to put it on and how to keep it on. God doesn't mean for us to trust in our own resources. He provides the strength and the power. He provides the armor. God's resources to fight his war. Are we with me? Our enemy is a strong one. He can, he can defeat our mind, our thinking. He can defeat our reasoning. He can defeat all of our arguments. Our common sense, our psychology, our self-will, our willpower, and everything else that we can throw up in, in terms of our human resource defense. He can defeat all those things, and he can defeat them very handily. Only God's armor protects us. Now, if you don't perceive and understand that the battle is real, you won't understand your need for armor. If you have no intention, as we said last week, of becoming involved, you won't understand your need for armor, nor will you put it on. We are dealing with a foe that is inferior in power only to God. He is inferior in power only to God. And a foe that is far above us in brilliance of mind, intellect, scheming, and power. We have a formidable foe. And we need to understand that. We need to recognize that. And again, as I've said before, I don't say that to scare us. I say that to prepare us and to give us a clear understanding of that which stands against us. And yet, in the face of all that, God gives us all the resources we need. Now, as Paul talks about the armor, as we've read it, it's important to think and to recognize that the armor is spiritual in nature. Now, he's chained to a Roman soldier. He's, he knows intimately what, what kind of gear a Roman soldier will wear. And so he's going to use the various pieces of armor that the soldier has, and he's going to use them as an illustration. But our armor is not external. It's internal. It's spiritual. It's not material. And... The armor of God can only be worn, now get this, can only be worn by people who are alive to God spiritually. It cannot be worn by people who are still dead to God, people who are not born again. It doesn't fit them. They don't see any need for it. You try to talk to somebody who's not born again about the, the richness and the beauty and the majesty of the Word of God, and they go, hmm. Doesn't, doesn't even affect them. It can only be worn by people who are spiritual. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about that, verses 12 through 15. He says, We have not received a spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, 
that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the person without the Spirit, the unborn-again person, can't even put on God's armor. It's not for that person. It's only for the Christian. How do we meet our problems? How do we meet our trials? How do we meet the things that assail our life in our everyday world? Do we meet them as a person of the world? Or do we meet them as a person of the kingdom of God? Put yourself in a place you've been criticized, talked about, gossiped about by people you trusted. You're hurt deeply. How are you going to respond? <clears throat> How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with forgiveness and grace? Are you going to rise above it? Are you going to pray for that person who persecutes you? What kind of resources are you going to turn to? Worldly resources? Well, I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell that person off. Where are we? Where are we when we confront these issues of life or when these spiritual attacks come? Do we understand? Do we see that even in the church that's, that demons can incite Christians against one another? That's right. And do we react and get defensive and divisive? Or do we see what's going on? Do we understand the warfare? Do we have our armor on? We need the armor of God. Amen. We need the armor of God. Worldly methods of dealing with grief and problems and strife, worldly methods are totally inadequate. Look at the condition of the world. I mean, that's all I have to see. That's the commentary. Look at the condition of the world, and you tell me that worldly methods are adequate. They're totally inadequate. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verses 18 through 20, Paul writes there. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. Don't trust in the wisdom of this world. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. It's totally inadequate. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So again, beloved church, when we meet problems and trials and difficulties in our life, understand that we're involved in spiritual warfare. That Satan is inciting sin in all of us, still in our human nature, trying to create divisions, confusion, problems. We need to... Avail ourselves of God's resources. God's resources. We need the whole armor of God. And I think, this is amazing, I think that there's a lot of people who lose sight of that. We need the whole armor of God. We can't just pick and choose. We'll say, well, I just need the, uh, the helmet of salvation. 
I don't need the breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness next week. You all be here now. You hear? <laughs> we need the whole armor of God because the whole man of God is involved. Mind, heart, will, intellect, spirit. Every aspect of man's being is involved and therefore we need the whole armor. We just can't just take part of it. We need it all, every bit of it. Now there's six pieces basically to the armor. There's six pieces to the armor. Paul's not exhaustive. He's just giving us some illustrations and we just read that. But the order in which he gives us the armor is important. It's not random. Paul's just not saying, oh, let's see, uh, the belt and then the breastplate and then... No, he's very particular. If you understand Paul and his thinking, he is very particular when he writes things. He's very precise. And so he lists the armor in a very specific order. And that order is important. So we're going to start with a belt of truth buckled around our waist. Can you see the picture? I have a big belt at home. Don Dugan, a guy in our church, gave it to me when he, he, he knew that I went to uh, work out at the health club and did a little light weights. I don't do heavy weights. You know, these guys that do heavy weights get these big old huge belts strapped around them for support and stuff. So he came and he gave me this huge big belt. My son loves it. He says, Dad, where's that big old belt? <laughs> And it's got Zach written on the back of it. You know, big letters burn into the letter. I mean, the leather. It's a huge, big old belt. I was going to bring it. I forgot to bring it tonight. I was going to strap that baby on. <laughs> We're going to start with the belt buckled around our waist. Now, it's interesting. When you read the text, the idea in the text is that we are to strap the belt on. It's in the active voice. Nobody else is going to put it on for it. No one's going to dress you. You have got to put the belt of truth on. And you put it on, and you keep it on, firmly in position. That's very, very important. Firmly in position. And a soldier's belt, a Roman soldier's belt, was not an item of decoration. It wasn't decorative. Like some of our ladies, you know, they buy these real pretty decorative belts and they don't do a darn thing except they just decorate you. <laughs> that wasn't the soldier's belt. That wasn't the idea behind it. It was absolutely essential to that soldier's uniform and to his survival. It was the first thing he put on. It was the first thing he put on. It was foundational. He put on the belt. Now, its essential function was to gather together this loose flowing tunic. He put on a tunic, and it was, it was sometimes long, and it was loose, covered his body. And if he was going to go into battle, he'd put this belt on. It would cinch that tunic up, keep it in place so he could have freedom of movement. It would also provide support for him both abdominal and, and back support. It would uh, possibly be a, a means whereby he could hang his sword upon it if necessary. It would protect the vital midsection 
against injury. So that belt was very, very important. It served several purposes, but essentially it was designed to, to keep everything cinched up, nice and tight, especially so that his tunic wouldn't get in his way. He could be unencumbered, unhindered in his action when he had to be involved in hand-to-hand -hand combat. In a Roman soldier, in warfare, they, 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 were, they were trained to defend six square feet. Each soldier had six square feet. He was going to defend it. And so they were always in hand-to-hand -hand combat, very close combat. And you can imagine if he's got a, a tunic that's all over the place, he can get all bundled up into trying to hold his shield and the sword and all that stuff. So he's got a belt on. It was ready, he was ready for action. It was a mark of his being prepared with that belt. And again, it was foundational. So is truth. Truth is foundational. This soldier's belt was foundational, and Paul uses that analogy, and he talks about the belt of what? Truth. Truth, truth is foundational. When we know the truth, we are ready for action. When we know the truth, we are ready for action. The loose ends of our life, the stuff that's kind of flapping in the breeze, can in a sense be hemmed in by the belt of truth. You know what I'm talking about? We got a lot of loose ends in our lives, don't we? Things we don't know what to do with, don't know what to do about them. They trouble us, grieve us. We get all upset over things. When we understand and know the truth, truth is foundational, all that stuff is tied up and hemmed in by that belt of truth. Do you remember Pilate? Jesus was standing before him, and John records in chapter 18 of his gospel, verse 37. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and he's... Pilate's interrogating him, and Jesus says, I was born for this reason, to come and testify to the truth. And he said, whoever is for the truth is with me. Think of that statement. Whoever is for the truth is with me. And do you remember Pilate's response? What is truth? Now, what I think is staggering is that John doesn't put in Jesus' mouth or anybody else's mouth a response to that question. What is truth? But if you look at the whole rest of the Gospel of John, the whole balance of the narrative is the answer to that question. Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, prophesying the come of the Holy Spirit. That's truth. Jesus, in fulfilling that work, fulfills all the testimony of the Old Testament. Pilate says, what is truth? And John just begins to write. It's all this stuff that follows. What is truth? Truth is composed of absolutes, things that are unchanging, timeless principles absolute, unchanging, timeless principles. Principles. A principle is something you can extract 
from one culture, you can transpose it two, four, six thousand years and apply it to another culture. Principles are always applicable. The scriptures are full of truth. They're full of principles. When we read and study the scriptures, we don't read and study the scriptures just to understand the minutia. We, we read, we mine the depths of the scriptures to say, what is the principle here? What principle can I learn? What principle of truth? So what is truth? What is truth? Absolute, unchanging, constant principles, isn't it? Timeless. The truth is, in this context, when Paul talks about the belt of truth, the truth is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Now someone's going to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says later on in that passage in Ephesians that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Well, that's it. That's true. It is. But you see, the belt of, belt of truth is also the Word of God looked at in a little different manner. There's a difference between truth as a whole and truth in separate portions. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 4, you remember when Jesus was being tempted? Jesus had on the belt of truth. He knew the Word of God, didn't he? He was prepared. He was ready. He was standing his ground. He had on the belt of truth, but he was using the sword of the Spirit when he was saying, it is written. Amen. He was using the Word of God in small portions. He was parrying the, the enemy's attacks. And he was standing his ground. He had his armor on. He knew the Word of God. He had the belt of truth. Therefore, I suggest here in our, in our passage that the belt of truth represents the whole truth, the Word of God, in total. The belt of truth. Now, someone would say, well, also, the belt of truth is, is an attitude of truthfulness. Well, there's, there's something to that, except you can't just have an attitude of truthfulness unless you have the truth. So you've got to have the truth if you're going to be truthful. It's not a matter of just being sincere. Lots of people are sincere, sincerely wrong. Now the word truth in our context here is a knowledge and a belief in the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. When Paul talks about the belt of truth, the truth that we're talking about, that he's talking about, is the truth, the knowledge of, the belief in, the truth of God as it has been revealed in Jesus Christ. Fully revealed. Doesn't Jesus, if you read John's Gospel, you go through all, all through John's Gospel, and Jesus is constantly saying, John puts these words in his mouth, I tell you the, I tell you the, do you see? In John chapter 14, verse 6, what does Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way for all those who are lost. I'm the way. I'm the only way. The way. The definite article is there. There is no other way. I am the way. The implication is the only way. I am the truth. 
For those who are in the dark, for those who are, who are, 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 are confused, I'm the truth. And I'm the life for those who are dead and dying. If you want to know the Father, come through me. He says, I have truth. I am truth. John, again, in, 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 his, in his gospel, the first chapter, uh, first verse, speaking of the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. Why, why would he pick that, that word? The Logos. The truth in the beginning. It's a play on Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. John picks that up. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then you drop down to verse 14, and, and John goes on, and he says, and the Word became flesh. Whew, I don't know how you can get any closer definition. And the Word became flesh. And he goes on later in that verse, and he describes Jesus full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus... The belt of truth. It's all wrapped up in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all wrapped up in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of redemption, salvation. In John chapter 8, verse 30, Jesus said, If you remain in my word, and my word remains in you, what's he talking about? He's talking about taking in his word, his words of life. He's taking in the truth. He says, if you remain in my word and my word remains in you, you will know the truth, truth and the truth will put on the belt of truth. It's foundational. You want to be set free? Put on the word of truth. Spend time in God's Word. In John 17, 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus, in his prayer for the church, his prayer for the disciples, he says, Father, sanctify them in your truth. And he says, your Word is the truth. Sanctify The process of sanctification, the process of transformation of our lives day to day occurs when we've got the belt of truth on. The Word of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of sanctification. How's your mind renewed? You just kind of sit there and go, hmm, renew, 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 renew. <laughs> No, your mind is renewed as you what? Put on the belt of truth. As you meditate on the Word of God. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. This is rich. I love this. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Listen to that. The full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God 
namely Christ. That they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. In whom, now get this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Beloved church, it is the objective truth which we possess in a subjective manner. What do I mean by that? It's not only that I master the word, but that the word masters me. When I put on the belt of truth, I'm not only putting on knowledge. I'm only not trying to get smart in the word. I'm putting on the belt of truth that it might master my life. I am held by the truth. I am bordered in by the truth. I'm walled in by the truth. Biblical principles. Every situation in my life, I try to think, what biblical principle can I employ here? Oh, yes, give thanks. <laughs> oh, yes, rejoice. Trust God. The word of God is the thing that binds me. It's the thing that holds me together. It's the thing that puts me on my feet. It's the thing that gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. It gives me strength. It gives me direction. It gives me power. Guards my life. How do I put on that belt of truth? Just exactly how do I put it on? Well, how do you read the Bible? <laughs> do you look at the Bible merely as an intellectual exercise? Do you read the Bible uh, as you would read any novel just for enjoyment? Do you read the Bible in a hurry just to get through it? You do your quota for the day? All of us are guilty of that, aren't we? Or do you read the Bible in order that its truth gets a hold of you? Its truth gets a hold of you. That it governs your thinking. That it governs your attitudes, your behavior to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, to everything else, all your life experiences. Has the Bible got a hold of you? Do you think biblically? Or do you still think like the world thinks, expediently? No matter what happens, how are you responding? Not reacting, how are you responding? Responding has the, the element of thoughtfulness to it. Reacting, there's no thinking. Oh, I'm just going after it. How do you put on the belt of truth? You meditate in the Word of God. And the purpose is that the Word of God grabs you and holds on to you and encompasses you about and holds you in. 
That's how you put it on. Truth is the first thing we must put on. Truth is the first thing we must put on. Without it, we are completely lost. With it, we are secure. We are certain. We are free from doubt, worry, anxiety, the things that so trouble us as human beings. It brings clarity to our lives. It sets us free. The belt of truth. When it encompasses us about, it sets us free. When it limits our life, we are most free. Do you see that? People run around today, don't fence me in. I don't want any limits on my life. Don't tell me what to do. No man tells me what to do. Jesus tells me what to do. And I want him to tell me what to do. I go to his word and I say, Lord, give me wisdom. I hunger for wisdom. Knowledge of his will. Because I know that that gives life. That gives life. That protects my life. Remember, the devil is a liar, isn't he? The devil is a liar. He is a filthy schemer. Disgusting schemer. The battle is where? It's in the mind. The battle is in the mind. Listen to 1 Peter. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, that's the NIV translation. Let me give you the literal translation from the Greek. The literal translation says this. Gird up the loins of your mind. Does that sound like put on the belt of truth? Gird up the loins of your mind so that you might be sober and alert. Doesn't the mind deal with truth? Peter's saying the same thing, isn't he? Absolutely. So the first thing we need is the truth. You know the truth. You can spot the error. You don't need to worry. People can come and tell you all kinds of stuff, but you know the truth so well, you're going to say, no, no, that's not true. The enemy comes and tries to put a trip on you. No, that's not true. You're trying to trip me up, aren't you? You're trying to fake me out. You're trying to lay me low. But see, I got the belt of truth on. I'm going to get one of those. Without a knowledge of biblical teaching, we will be, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, he says, we will be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That's where we'll be. Without sound biblical teaching, without the knowledge of the word of God, without the belt of truth. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. 
beloved church, these can only be successfully countered with the truth of the Word of God. We must put on the belt of truth. The Word of God is absolutely, utterly vital to our experience in our life as Christians. This is clearly seen throughout the entire history of the church from the first centuries on. The devil is continually trying to sow seeds of confusion and uncertainty in the midst of the church. In Acts chapter 15, the whole book of Galatians is written to the confusion surrounding the issue of allowing the Gentiles to be in the church. And in every letter, nearly every letter written to the churches by Paul, the issue of division in the churches is addressed division between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And the enemy is still doing that. The enemy is still creating division in the churches. In Acts chapter 20, Paul, as he, as he prays with the Ephesian elders, as he's preparing to leave, he tells them that errors are going to creep in. Wolves are going to come from the outside. And unprincipled men are going to rise up from within their midst to lead people astray. Do you see? If you don't have the belt of truth on, if you don't have the belt of truth on, if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't know biblical principles, if you're not allowing them to grab your life and govern your life, encompass you about, you are wide open for deception. You are wide open for deception. You won't know what end is up. You won't understand why your life is miserable. Remember what we said last week. Persecution is inevitable. Trials and difficulties are inevitable. But misery doesn't have to be. Misery does not have to be. If you know God's word and you allowed his word to take control of your life, his principles govern your life, you will be powerful, steady, strong, unflappable. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes that whole chapter as a polemic against the teaching of some that there's no such thing as a resurrection. That whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes against that lie and that doctrine. He says, yes, there is a resurrection from the dead. And he says, if there isn't, then we of all people are most to be pitied. The various New Testament letters, all the church councils, in the early centuries of the church. The Reformation itself. Martin Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, John Huss, all the great reformers were bringing the church back to what? The Word of God. Amen. The belt of truth. The truth of God's Word, so that we might know the truth so that we might know who, what, and why we believe. Who do we believe in? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We believe in one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
How would you know that except the Bible taught you? There's many, many cults today who don't have an understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, and they're all over the map. The one single issue of all the cults is that Jesus is not God. He is a God. The whole New Age movement is you can be a God like Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, sure. But if you don't understand who you believe in, what you believe about him, and why you believe it, you will never, ever be able to lead that person out of the darkness. And you'll be confused when they come at you with all their memorized verses and all their training, and they're going to run circles around you, and you're going to walk away absolutely defeated. Belt of truth. What do we believe? What do we believe about man? The Bible tells us. The world doesn't give us the answers. The world doesn't tell us what is man's real problem. The world doesn't talk to us about spiritual warfare. Only God tells us. Only the Word of God opens our eyes and shows us these things. Why is there death? Why is there disease? Why are there wars? Why is there injustice? Nobody has the answers except the belt of truth, the word of God. Is there any hope for man? Yes. What happens at death? There's one or two places. <laughs> you see, all the history of the church, God has raised up people to come and to define and to clarify the doctrines, the principles, the truth of the Word of God, that we might know clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt who we believe in, what we believe in, and why we believe in it. The Bible, the, as the revealed Word of God, is the only dependable authority. It is the only dependable authority. There are lots of religious books, lots of philosophical books, lots of books written. The world is full of books. The world is full of authorities. The world's full of philosophers. The Bible is the only dependable authority. The Bible is the best-selling book in the world. The Bible, they have tried to stamp the Bible out. Century after century, culture after culture, they've tried to stamp the Bible out to get rid of it. It just keeps plodding along. The Bible is the only authority. Human reason is not an authority. Our minds are finite. Reason only takes us so far. It's not big enough. We can't get our minds around the mysteries of God. Modern knowledge is not the authority. Modern knowledge is leading us right down the toilet. If you don't believe me, go out there tomorrow and breathe the air of Los Angeles. We have an ocean that's polluted. It's been polluted for 30 years, we're finding out now, by PCBs. A wonderful result of our modern knowledge and technology. The world is threatened still by nuclear warfare, despite peace, 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 peace. Modern knowledge 
is not the authority. Our feelings are not the authority. Well, I feel like, um, well, I feel that, uh, no, we're not into some existential, experiential, feeling, groovy <laughs> deal. Man, you know, your feelings change from one minute to the next. Our reason, modern knowledge, our feelings are not authorities. They're not strong enough to base the kind of things that we need answers to on. And neither are religious men or institutions the authority. The Bible is the authority. The Bible is the authority. Do you remember in Acts chapter 17? I love this, verse 11. Paul comes. Paul, you would think, is an authority, right? Paul speaks with authority. But Luke writes about the Bereans who were more noble in character than all the other people that Paul preached to. And what did the Bereans do? The Bereans just didn't take Paul's word for it. Luke says that they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was correct. They didn't put their trust in Paul. What did they put their trust in? The Bible, the Word of God, the truth, the only authority that man has to understand life and godliness, the belt of truth, the noble Bereans. People can speak authoritatively, can't they? People speak authoritatively all the time. Watch television. Watch those commercials. Whoo, boy, they can be convincing, can't they? They speak with authority. Many people will listen when people speak authoritatively. Isn't that true? Doesn't matter so much what they're speaking. If they're just speaking with authority, you're going, whoa, boy, it sounds like that guy knows what he's talking about. I better listen. He can be talking absolute drivel, and you'll listen. People will listen when someone speaks with authority. And many people listening don't even have a clue. They don't say, what is your basis for saying that? What is your basis? Is there an objective basis for the things which you are speaking? Is there an authoritative, objective basis for the things you are speaking? Can you prove it? Yes, the Bible says. The Bible says. And the burden of proof is on you to disprove it. And every single person who has sought down through the history of the church, the history of Christianity, every single person who has attacked the Bible and who has sought to disprove the resurrection and who has set aside all their biases and gone at it intellectually, studying, looking, finding for the chink in the armor every single time they come away saved. Yeah. Convinced. They can't argue. They said it's true. It happened. It's real. The Word of God is the only authority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People who are bewildered, people who are confused, are ready to be persuaded by any person who speaks authoritatively. Do you know that? They're just looking 
pour it out. They're looking for some relief. People who are bewildered, confused, frustrated at the end, they want, and someone comes along and who will speak authoritatively, they will trust them. Even if there is no objective basis for that authoritative speaking. The Bible itself claims that it is the authority. Sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly. Do you know that man cannot in and of himself come to the knowledge of God? Isn't that pretty astounding? God, man in and of himself cannot come to the knowledge of God. Let me share with you some scriptures quickly and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God... For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Did not know him. And God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Man in and of himself can't come to a knowledge of God. Well, there's all sorts of religions. They all believe in God. You walk down the street, you ask people at random, do you believe in God? Oh, yes, I believe in God. Are you a Christian? No. you believe in God? Yes. What God do you believe in? Well, God. Well, tell me about him. Can you describe him? Well, the, um, you know, God. <laughs> and then if they've managed to describe him, the next question is, on what basis do you know this information? On what basis do you put forth this information? I would like to know that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You've got to be spiritually alive to God. You can't figure these things out on your own. Psalm 139, verse 6. David, talking about God's ways, God's purpose, God's plan, what God does, David says, this knowledge is too high for me. I cannot attain it. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, speaks about the mysteries, the unsearchable mysteries and the depths of God's wisdom and knowledge. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God speaking to the prophet Isaiah says, your, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Yours and my ways are not the same. He says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my ways are much different from yours. See, God's, God's trying to get people to think his thoughts, to put on the belt of truth. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Classic passage. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. God has it's come from his mouth. There's a parallel passage in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, he says, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture 
came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit, as they were being moved by the Holy Spirit. God has to reveal himself, everything about himself, everything about his plan, everything about his purpose. God has to reveal everything to man. Man in and of himself cannot attain to that knowledge. We put the belt of truth on. The belt of truth. The bottom line, the ultimate question is this for us. Do I accept the Bible as the word of truth? Do I accept the Bible as the very word of God, as the sole and final authority of what is true and what is error? And before I can succeed in putting on the belt of truth, I must come to the word of God humbly as a child. I cannot come with all my wisdom all my haughtiness, I must come to the Word of God humbly, and I must say, teach me. I set aside all my body, teach me. Because if you don't do that, if you don't come with that attitude of humility, the attitude of a learner, one who wants to be instructed, one who is hungering for life, beloved church, you will never be successful in putting on the belt of truth and you will never stand in the face of spiritual warfare. What difference is this going to make in your life? What difference is this going to make in your life? Do you have a, a clearer vision of the Word of God? I hope so. For some of you, this is going to be in one ear and out the other. For some of you, you're going to Make some decisions. You're making them even right now. You're saying, boy, that's good. I'm going to start getting in the Word. I'm going to start reading the Word differently. I'm going to really make a difference. Two days from now, you're going to be back to the same old thing. But there's some of you, a few, who are making some decisions right now that will stay with you the rest of your life. But the vast majority, you'll be in one ear and out the other. I'm, I'm sad to say that, but I'm a student of human nature. I see what happens. I see all the distractions. I understand what's going on. I understand what it means to bear down. I understand what it means to come to the Word of God and say, teach me. Put on the belt of truth. Father, we worship you.